Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. Because so many times, you know, the other side of the rebranding is when people say you need to rebrand yourself or reinvent yourself. I, I have an issue with the reinvent because I feel like you're saying that what I was before was no good. So I need to change who I am and redo this whole thing where I think that's a scary place to be. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. So my next guest on the Shark Effect is a good friend of mine. Um, i known him when we was both at Nike. And um, he's, he's someone who I, I look up to. Um, he has a, a, a great amount of wisdom. He has experience as well, but a great amount of wisdom. Um, he worked at places like Vibe Magazine, uh, the, the Billionaire's Boys Club. Uh, he was 10 years in multiple leadership positions at Nike, and he was also a senior director at Adidas. So he, he works on building brands, and we're going to dive in a little bit on, on, on that, because that's what this episode is about. So please welcome my good friend, Aster Chambers. Aster, welcome to the Shark Effect, my man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Super proud of you, and uh, just this is good. This is long overdue. Yeah, Long yes, overdue. Indeed. Yes, indeed. So, man, how'd you get, like, after, let's say, after college, how did you get to where you are now? Like, what was, what was, like, that, that moment that you, okay, I did my college deal. Yep. I think I have a plan. 
how do you execute that? And was there like one moment that was like change your thinking or really change your trajectory? Yeah. Um, the thinking, the moment was after, right after I got out of the college and the conversation I had with my mother, but I got to rewind, if I may, to Please. high school, because okay. that's kind of when this thing all kicked in for me. Um, I'm born and raised in New York. Uh, I went to a high school called Fame, which I'm sure you're familiar with, because we both grew up uh, around that time when the famous show. Hold on, uh, hold, fame. on. hold on. Fame, that was, <laughs> that was real. Oh, that's a real school. Absolutely. But Performing arts. The Performing Arts High School, uh, LaGuardia High School of the Performing Arts in New York City. I love Real high school. Yo, man, me and my mom and my, we used to watch that religiously. You Are you serious? So Leroy dance, dancing on the table and all that? Yes, I, that? I went to that school. I was not, I was not a dance major, so okay. I was not dancing on tables. <laughs> I was an art major. I was an artist. Okay. Um, so that school specialized in all the different art forms. So you had art, you had dance, you had vocal, so people who can have amazing voices and could sing. You had instrumental, and then you had drama majors, actors. So I can go down the line of all the people who I went to high school with that you would know today and be like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Marlon Wayans, Omar Epps, Bokeem Woodbond, Adrian Brody, uh, Khalees. But again, that's that's not part of the story. <laughs> okay, okay. Then you had, you had Aster. That's going to uh, be another, that's going to be another episode. Another episode. So I went to this high school and I was a senior class vice president at the time. And I was walking down the hallway um, one day and my senior class advisor said, hey, Aster, I need, to, I need you to do me a favor. I've got a lady here who has a project to find the correlation between sports and arts. Would you mind taking her around the school? So I said, yeah, not a problem. So I'm walking around with this lady for the day, Alex. I'm showing her all the different art forms and she's asking all these different questions. I was also the uh, captain of the basketball team. So I already had the arts and the sports um, kind of values and principles and understanding. Mm -hmm. Turn around for the day and at the end of the day, she was like, you know what, I really enjoyed your company um, and thank you for taking the time. Would you mind coming by the office one day just to talk? I said, sure, not thinking anything of it. Um, this lady happened to work for Nike. So a couple weeks later, she actually calls me and she says, hey, would you mind coming down into the office? I have a couple of designers who are in town and I would love for them to hear kind of your point of view on things. So now this is circa, let's go 92. So this is 92. Okay. And I'm giving you the year because you got to think of when the culture of this industry became what it is today. So this is 92, Alex, and you've got these designers coming from Beaverton, Oregon into New York City. And in 92, this is when the brand starts to really start to ascend and turn into the brand that we know today in terms of its cultural um, connection and influence. Because what you had were consumers like myself who were procuring the product as a means of expression, not necessarily as a means to actually perform in the product. Like I wasn't actually running in my running shoes. I wasn't playing basketball in all of my basketball shoes. I was wearing them as a reflection of me, of who I was, the personality that I want to exude out. Mm -hmm. And these individuals at the brand at this time could not understand that. They're like, yo, what do you mean? So people aren't playing or running in all our shoes? We're like, nah, we just think it's fresh. And it was a, a mind-blowing moment for them. So I'd have all these meetings with all these designers during the summer. I take them around to different basketball courts, different neighborhoods to meet different people within my circle. And this is what you call today a focus group. 
It was all these informal focus groups that were informing all these executives, marketers, and designers on why the product is, gra is gravita why it gravitates to them, why the brand means something to them. Why are they wearing these other brands? Why are they p purchasing these things at this price point and you're not even using all the innovation that we put into it? Mm. Again, this was a mind-blowing experience for them. So I started doing this all summer. And then when I went to college, I would start, I would continue to do it and doing these surveys for this young lady and any other designers or marketers who I'd met over that last year to inform them of what was going on in the streets. Got it. So I did that for some time and obviously that helped to sharpen in my eyes this thing called marketing. I didn't know what this was. Like, I didn't know that this was a field, that this was an area, but I'm meeting all these people in this space. Needless to say, I then get asked by an executive that time. His name was David Bond. He was a huge basketball executive at Nike, then went on to Adidas. He's been in the industry for years. He wanted me to come speak at a sales meeting for Nike. Again, as a consumer, kid just coming out and telling people why we like Nike t-shirts, why we like Nike shorts, why we like these things. And again, no, I'm not playing basketball in some of them. And no, I'm not playing tennis in some of them. But I think they're, they're super cool. And my peers love me, yada, yada, yada. So did that. And then I graduated from college and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I, I went to college for accounting because I didn't know what I wanted to be. Accounting? Yeah, no, hold on. You went. Dog. So this is another story. This is okay. another story. I, 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 when I was finished with high school, I obviously wanted to play college ball. And there was this small university that I went on a college tour trip that showed some uh, interest in me. So I said, I want to go to the school because I want to play D1 ball. And it was a university I went to, which was University of Maryland Eastern Shore. So I was going to go to try out because the coach um, said, look, if you come and try out, I'm almost sure I can give you a spot. Can't give you a scholarship off the rip. But if you come down here, I'm going to give you a shot. So I went to this school with the intentions of playing ball. Now, with the intentions of playing ball, my focus was not necessarily on academics. I had no clue what I wanted to major in. I just wanted to get down there and play ball. So my parents... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this is basketball. This is, the, this is that other sport that I yeah. tormented you. I mean, the other sport that we played together on a leisure level. On a, yeah, that's a whole other show. There you well. go. <laughs> yeah, so um, in doing that, both my parents are from Jamaica. And I don't know if you know any Jamaicans or the culture, but they're very focused on what it is. They're going to do very career-oriented, very hard workers. And so my mother was in the nursing industry, and my father was and is a CPA. So when I said I had no clue what I wanted to do, my dad said, no, no, no. Oh, you know what you're going to do? That's going to be accounting. I said, okay. So I majored in accounting. And so upon getting my four years uh, and my degree and starting to look at the industry and, and the type of positions and roles, I realized it wasn't the best fit for me. Just my personality, what I want to do and things that agree. Not saying it wasn't the right thing for me to do because those principles of accounting I've now carried into everything that I do in terms of managing a P&L, working through the numbers and figuring those things out. I can comfortably be in those conversations because of that background. So needless to say, majoring in accounting and when it was time to graduate, I was like, I don't want to work at a firm. I don't like I went into the interviews, suit and tie. I was like, this is not me. So the lady who I had built a great relationship with at Nike said, hey, look, there's this, um, this role at Nike called an Eakin. And it's an entry level role where it's Nike spelled backwards. And really what you are is a field rep that um, educates and kind of owns a territory 
but it's your job to work with all the different re retail partners to inform them on all the different innovations of the product so that they can better sell it to consumers. Because again, context of the time frame, this is like 95, 96, where sneaker companies are now dropping shoes for a hundred plus dollars. And people are like, I, why am I paying a hundred dollars for a pair of athletic footwear? Why? So we have to provide them with the tools of the cushioning. Why is the cushioning so uh, effective? Why is it so needed for a runner, for a basketball player? Here are all the key attributes on the mesh upper and the leather upper and why this and why that. So we gave all those tools to the sales associates so that they can then better articulate why it is you're paying for what it is you're purchasing. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah, you know what? That, that, all right, we'll, we'll see. But my mom had a great conversation with me before that. And it was one of, um, you need to tell these people at Nike, you need a job. I'm like, why? I'm getting all these free shoes. I'm the man at college. I'm the man in the streets. I'm getting things before they come out. I'm that guy. She's like, no, no, but you've made them a lot of money with your information and your time and your insight. And now it's time for them to provide you with the opportunity for you to continue to grow. I'm like, at that time, I was like, yeah, whatever, mom, you're just hating. I want to keep what I got going. Don't ruin this good thing. But lo and behold, she was spot on. And that's hence why I then inquired about roles or things at Nike. And that's when I was informed about the Eakin job. So I interviewed, didn't get the first one. I interviewed like the week after I graduated from college, didn't get the first role. Um, and then I, they were, I was told that I should um, shadow the gentleman that they brought in who had a little bit more experience at that time for a period of time until they had another opening within the department. So I did that, um, shadowed a guy and then got a random job somewhere else just to kind of make money in the interim. And then I think it was about four to six months later, another role in New York as an Eakin came up and I became the other Eakin in New York City overseeing Manhattan, uh, where else was I? Staten Island and parts of Jersey were my markets. Um, so I actually, I actually teched and prepped uh, the Nike Town staff in New York before it opened. So Nike Town wasn't even there, um, but during my tenure, that's when we built the Nike Town and I was the one that kind of informed, educated and trained the whole staff on, again, all the different key attributes uh, of the brand and, and the products and the innovations and things to that degree. So that's kind of where it started. So to be honest, I kind of fell into it because the other thing is this is not an industry where, you know, these classes are offered at school or wasn't, you know what I mean? It's not a thing like that. It, it, it was really a relationship type of thing and a networking and, and finding these things out because nobody even knew these type of roles existed. Like it wasn't even, nobody knew that. Nobody knew that they were really design like people designing the shoes for Jordan or Andre Agassi. Like that's a job. It's like, yeah. And there's a marketer who's deciding how and when and what to put out to kind of further round out the story around these individuals. Like nobody knew these things. I was just exposed to it because of that one day at the at, at my high school, walking this lady around who still is one of my dearest, dearest friends, and her name is Betsy Parker, and whose brother happened to be Mark Parker. Oh, man. So for my listeners who might not know this, Mark Parker it was the Correct. CEO for, for Nike. Correct. Look at that. And Betsy Parker was, was one of his sisters who worked at the brand and probably one of the most genuinely kind kindest people you will ever meet. Um, and she had a long tenure 
um, at the brand working in recruitment and design and things to that degree and introduced me to a number of individuals within the brand who till this day I still have great relationships with but really laid down the foundation of me getting into this industry and into the brand in the which in the way in which I did so for me I've been able to see the evolution of this brand from a consumer standpoint to an executive standpoint um, and having those two understandings and those nuances really help with how to navigate and create things and initiatives and understanding the different sensitivities and nuances because I've been, I am on both sides, yeah. right? In, in yeah. certain instances, I still am a consumer. Um, and obviously, I'm still an, an executive with a, with a different responsibility now in terms of how and what to do in certain instances um, based off of how, where we are as a society yeah. today. Wow, that's so cool, man. So how do you create a brand strategy? And I, instead of taking this like, cause I know this is broad, yeah. but like creating a brand strategy for an individual. Mm, okay. So how do I create a brand for myself or my listeners. Right. So that's a great question because, you, you know, I was going to go to the, the typical, you got to start at the foundation of an MVP. What's your MVP, right? That's the first thing. And I think you can, you can make that correlation to an individual as well. And when you talk about MVP, it's what's your mission, what's your vision, and what's your positioning, right? Now, those are the foundational pillars when you talk about building any brand. And it, it, it definitely correlates to, again, even an individual. And when you talk about mission, that's, that's the doing, what, it is, what is it that you're trying to do, right? Um, and I think when you look at the vision, you then got to see it through. How are you envisioning this thing coming to life, the thing that you were looking to do? Uh, and then the positioning is, what's your point of differentiation? What makes you stand out from what, what other things may be out there, other individuals in the space or other brands or services in the space that you're trying to get into? What, what positions you differently from the others? Again, it's not about better or worse than, it's just what's your point of differentiation? Um, and I think when you talk about a person though, mm. an individual, I think it's, it's really, really rooted on what is your purpose? Let's go. What, what, what's, what's your purpose? Because when you know your purpose, your MVP becomes very clear your MVP becomes very, very clear. When you know what your innate purpose is, like I know what my purpose is. I've, 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 I've been teetering with it over years and now it's very crystallized for me because I've seen certain things and situations that I've been in that now once I've honed in on this purpose, I see, oh, that makes sense. I get it. That's what I stand for. So when, when you know that, now you know exactly the things that are non-negotiables the things that you're never going to deviate away from and the things that you are not going to get into because you know the purity of your purpose. And it's essential that once you know your purpose, that you again do not deviate from that for whatever reason, because there's going to be so many different things that are going to be happening around you that can be sometimes distractions mm -hmm. and sometimes influences. But if they take you off of your purpose, then now you're moving away from the thing that's rooted in the MVP that you put together. And in essence, the thing that you are now standing for, which is your purpose. 
Mm. Wow, that's deep. What's your purpose, AC? So, and I I hope once I say this, you'll probably see that, no, that makes total sense. But I know that my purpose is, how do I help to bring out the greatness in all people by minimizing the expectation gap? And what I mean by that is, we're all great. Everybody is great, but we don't all, that's not unlocked. I'm here to help unlock that for everybody. In every instance, in, in every interaction, in anything that I do, I want to be put in a position where I can help unlock that because there's so many of us that have been suppressed. And I'm not just talking about people of color. I'm not talking about just minorities. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about disenfranchised. I'm talking about everybody because some of those people that I just mentioned, because of that suppression, others have not been able to be their best selves because they haven't been able to be exposed to the greatness that is within these people that has not been unlocked because environments haven't been created for that to happen. So my purpose is solely based on that and bringing value to others, right? I've had a great amount of success, which is bringing value to myself, but now it's about significance. How am I bringing value to others? And I think by helping others be their best selves, that is what I'm here to do. And I look at that as a means of, when, when you're looking at bringing value to others, it, it's, 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 commit, it's putting yourself out there for a greater good. It's way bigger than just me. Mm-hmm. This is not just me. And I know that now, especially of having you know, children, three girls yeah. who yeah. are coming into this world that I as a parent have to do my job in ensuring that everything that I'm doing is for making a better environment for them to come out and be their best selves and the best citizens possible of contributing in a positive way to the better world that we all want to be a part of and live in. And the other thing that I mentioned earlier with there's this expectation gap that everybody has in every situation. Everybody has an expectation on what they feel of their spouse, of their children, mm-hmm. of their boss, of their, their uh, the people that work for them, there's an expectation gap. Sometimes those expectations are, are off, right? Sometimes expectations might be very high and unrealistic, right? Yeah. And not achievable. So how do I help come to a place where we're, we're shrinking that expectation gap? Not to say that we're shrinking the body of excellence of work, but just bringing the reality of what is expected into, into focus, right? Because if you do that, then I think it's, it's easier for people to then relate to the other to say, okay, if this is what they're delivering and that you have an expectation that's different from the one that you might've had before, which wasn't even realistic, it's easier for people to open up and accept what it is they're giving. That then allows for that person to then feel more comfortable to give and do more. You're now empowering them a little bit more. You're providing an opportunity for them to be heard and felt and seen. Um, and I think that's the thing that I'm solely invested in right now from a purpose standpoint. Absolutely. So you talk about vision. Yeah. Like your vision for, you know, said, let's keep it as an individual. How do you boil that down? I think, you know, vision is one where it's a lot of exercising of a muscle of choice. And what I mean by that is when you have a vision, you want to have a very clear one of what it is you want to do. But now you've got to exercise all the different muscles, not in the literal sense, but in the figurative sense, 
of ensuring that you are investing and pouring into all the right things that are going to continue to keep you on track to that vision. So the majority of that is making sure that you're pouring and planting seeds of positivity and just in reinforcement of the why, the who, and the what, and continuing to stay with those things. Because again, our world is one where we're exposed to so much. There's so much that we're going to see around us. There's so much that we're going to have access to, um, given the digital landscape. And sometimes that can have you deviate from a plan, a vision, um, for whatever reason, and getting rabbit holes. We all know about rabbit holes. We, we, we've all been going down a bunch of them over, <laughs> rightfully so, over the last couple months. Yeah. And I think when, when you have a sharp vision, it's critical that you pour into the seeds that are, again, are going to contribute to that vision. So exercising that mind muscle of just continuing to go back to the why I'm doing this and the vision that I had initially and how am I still honoring that? How am I still pouring into that? How am I embracing that? How am I providing a platform for that? If I'm doing anything that's deviating from that, then I'm off my vision. Mm. And so it's, it's exercise. And this is something that you are definitely familiar with from a training standpoint, right? Repetition is reputation, right? You mm. got to exercise certain muscles so that they can be stronger. That's a muscle exercise of always going back to, no, what was my vision? What's my purpose? Does this align with that? How am I staying with this? Because if you don't exercise that muscle, you will be far off and then you look back and be like, wait, how did I get all the way over here? Where I said, I want to do, this is what I wanted to do, but I'm doing something that's not really in the same lane. Yeah. I'm not even aligned with my own vision. Somebody or something has helped deviate me from that. So you've got to exercise that muscle of bringing it back to where it is you initially purposefully wanted to be based off of your vision and your purpose. Off of your, off of your vision and your purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know, that's the other thing that could be created for you. Mm -hmm. A vision and a purpose can be created for you. Or you could be acting out the vision and purpose of others. Yep. Very like easily. Kind of like what, like for you, like your pops, <laughs> your pops was like, no, nah, this is your, this is your vision. This is your, it's your purpose. You're going to be like me. That's right. And to his defense, I came to him with no vision. I had a vision of, 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 of from a, a sports standpoint, from what I was passionate about at that point, but from an academic standpoint, I had no point of view. So thank God he provided and instilled some sort of vision for me because he knew what it was that I could need or I could be uh, proficient in and what I can excel in and what could be beneficial for my, you know, my, when I, when I grow up, when I, when you grow up and you have to get a job, this can work because it's working for me type of thing. And so I took that, but it wasn't until I got my vision mm. and my purpose that I figured out, okay, well now I can deviate from that because I know what it is. I'm really, what I, what I think I'm gravitating to and what I feel is a better um, alignment with who I am and my personality in this marketing and business space. And it worked out. I, I then began to invest and exercise that muscle. But then, and I was also very thankful that I was able to use the principles of that of a financial accounting background. Mm. 
That's so cool. And then dive in a little bit on, like you said, the position, positioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you, you know. Different. It makes you stand out. Yeah. And you know what? I, I say that, I don't want to say reluctantly, but I also say with the caveat of you don't want to be different just for different sake. Okay. You know, people well, say, what? I well, I don't have any hair, but I shouldn't like bleach my hair purple. Right. Like just because you, you want to be different, right? Yeah. Like, no, if, if the bald is bald is your thing and some of us, some people don't have options, then, then you do the bald as <laughs> you do. Um, but it, it's like not different for different sake, but what's that point of differentiation and that, that value and that currency that you bring? And it's just identifying that. And you, you have to do that deep dive on what that is. And if, if there isn't anything that's really different, that might be okay too. What's the positioning on it? How you're going to do the things that others have been doing a little bit better or more efficiently, right? And so the positioning just comes around assessing what it is you're standing for, assessing the, and I say market, industry, whatever that you're looking to get into or service um, or what it is as a person you're trying to be, and then figure out what's that thing that I'm going to do that's going to make me stand out even more than what's currently out there and being offered. And I mean, I look at everything as a value add. Like if I'm going to get into anything, I want to be able to bring more value than was there prior, right? That, that, I just feel like we're, we're in a place, I mean, <laughs> where that's so, so needed. Um, and again, going back to my purpose of unlocking greatness it just aligns with everything intuitively that I'm about. So it's what's the value add? How am I bringing value to increasing this experience for peers or whomever, whomever? Mm, that's so good. So what are your thoughts, man? Let's say I'm an athlete. Yeah. And it's one of those deals, man, I make a mistake. I, yeah. I make a mistake and I guess this is two parts. One of the fastest ways to wreck your brand. Mm -hmm. And then is it possible that I can rebrand myself? Hmm. Hmm. Yes. So great questions. Um, the greatest ways to wreck a brand, I think, is not being authentic. Mm. I think authenticity is probably one of the most credible um, components of, of anything. I mean, really, when you talk about people and athlete, like even an athlete, being authentic to who you are is, I think, a critical thing. Because if you try to become something that you're not or someone else, please understand you're always going to be a number two. You're always going to be a copy of an original. And you don't only do yourself a disservice by trying to be somebody else. You're doing everybody around you a disservice because you're not bringing them you. Mm. We are all unique. We are all very different and special and have a secret sauce that we can add into anything. But if we're trying to add a sauce that's already being added to a mixture, we're not doing anybody a service. So I think for an athlete, um, can, can you wreck your brand? Absolutely. By not being authentic and true to um, who you are, what you are, what your abilities are. What are those things that you bring to the table, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you asked, the, what the, the other question about um, 
rebranding. Rebranding. Yeah. So I know we had a conversation offline. Yeah, I think I think rebranding is an interesting one. And I look at that as what's the evolution? And what I mean by that is when you look at your brand, there are many pieces to the pie within brand Alex or brand Aster. There's many pieces and components that are put into that. You know, as I look at you, I think you're a perfect example of this for this conversation. As a gentleman who's been a professional athlete, scholar, a trainer, a father, a mentor, all these different things, a comedian, you know, you're all these different things. So it's not necessarily about a rebranding of these things, but it's it's a refocus and an evolving of certain pillars within that at certain times of your journey. So years ago, the pillar that stood out that you branded the most and was the thing that you invested in the most was an athlete, right? You were on the most prominent stage of the world in terms of football players. Check. That chapter then stopped, changed, you evolved. And the next one of the key chapters was that of being the amazing trainer. That's not something new. That wasn't a rebrand, essentially. That was just a evolved, more heightened, amplified focus on the thing that you had to do to be an amazing football player. It's a component of it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, your next chapter is you're looking at the platform of inspiring others with your podcast, informing others with your podcast, providing information and leadership with your podcast. That's This is not something new. As a professional athlete, as a trainer, you've always been a coach, insp inspirer, motivator, um, teacher. You are now amplifying those tools within your toolbox and evolving those for this current chapter, right? Mm -hmm. So the rebranding is just really looking at your toolbox. Let's take it to a toolbox of a handyman. Mm -hmm. Every tool in the toolbox doesn't get used equally all the time. No, you get certain tools for certain jobs and certain things that you're trying to, a screwdriver ain't gonna work as a wrench, right? But it's not like you don't have it and you don't know how to use it. So it's just all about amplifying and evolving those things when you need to. Because so many times, you know, the other side of the rebranding is when people say you need to rebrand yourself or reinvent yourself. I, I have an issue with the reinvent because I feel like you're saying that what I was before was no good. So I need to change who I am and redo this whole thing. Where I think that's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. For one, for one, there's this thing where your value doesn't decrease because somebody's inability to see your worth. So we need to be very careful as to why and when we're thinking we need to reinvent or rebrand ourselves. Yeah, take that deep breath. Hey. Because sometimes people get, people get that insight from certain sources on you need to rebrand yourself because of A, B, C, or D. So the person who's getting this information needs to be able to assess, am I getting this information from a credible source? And is, is this a credible insight that is truly reflective of who and what I am is first, mm. because there are a number of us who've had to live a life of coming up in systems that were already, already based off of having a certain stigma, judgment, image of who we are, that no matter what we did, or do, we were going to be perceived as not good enough, need to work on this, need to do that. You know where I'm going. I don't even need to say what it, I mean, we're living it 
today, right? Mm -hmm. You need to do more. You need this. You're not good enough at this. You're not. So you have to take an inventory of the source in which that's providing you with information that's telling you or making you think that you need to rebrand mm -hmm. yourself, right? Now, yeah. if that source is yourself, awesome. But now if the source is multiple, you know, third parties, awesome too, but we need to assess the credibility and the place in which these sources are coming from to get to the need for the rebranding. Mm, that was good. Man, I was just thinking about um, a time when I got interviewed when I was in my fifth year with the Saints. Mm -hmm. and, and this guy was telling me, you know, since I, I have a new coach, I have a new coach, um, do I feel like um, I have a new, you know, uh, uh, a new kind of like rebranding of myself? Like he, he pretty much summed it to where the other four years that I was playing didn't mean nothing. Didn't mean nothing. That I was trash. I didn't learn anything. I didn't improve. Or nothing. How about I, that? Yeah, right there. He said, "Yeah," on the interview. And now you could have put you could have put value on it. You you could have put value on that to say that that was true. Hmm. And then you could have run with everything that I've done to this point meant nothing. So now I got to start from scratch and do a, and you could have been in your head. I mean, so much without realizing, you know, that's not true. You know, that wasn't true. You've built a great platform uh, of content of a body of work that still does matter. Hence why you're still, why you were there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, it, but it's all on how you take this information in and how you then the choice you make on how you want to move forward, right? So you have to make a choice right then and there mm -hmm. on how am I going to take this information in and how am I going to respond to it? Not literally to this individual, but to the circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. How important is storytelling? Because I'm, I'm looking at it from both. I know Nike and Adidas and, you know, Nike does a really good job of storytelling, but how does that also translate to, individuals being able to i mean i i know the i know the answer i want right. to your answer but i you know recently over the years have been looking back on my life and telling my story on where you know being a little kid from colorado springs who was going to go into the army just like my pops how did that how did i go from that to where i am now storytelling is critical yeah. Critical. I mean, it's, it's, it's so necessary. So I, I'll talk about it from a business standpoint and then from a person standpoint, because we've already highlighted from a person, but I think this will really put the bow on it. You, you look at it from a brand standpoint. So companies or consumers no longer just buy things. They don't buy transactions. And if you're still in a transactional business, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's almost a, a soon to be dying extinct breed because people buy into experiences. Consumers are demanding more and they're buying into experiences. And that's why you see so many brands um, that are really thriving are the ones that can truly storytell and create an experience around a physical thing or a physical service. 
that makes it more than the thing that you, that thing or service that you are procuring. So for me, storytelling is, it's a non-negotiable. It has to be a part of the experience. So as an individual, storytelling is so critical because now on the consumer, the people side, so often, again, and this is majorly a reflection of the type of world we live in today where everything is readily available. We're in an information overload society. And we're also in a society where seemingly things just should happen. It's, 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 microwave. it's microwave. Yeah. It's microwave. We're very much microwave where we come from a time of it was the oven. You put that thing in the oven, you let that thing cook and marinate get right and then once you eat it you feel and you taste all the work that was put into that thing. Love. yeah that love that time the time yeah. that was put into that and as a storyteller as an individual it's so critical that stories are told because being that we're this right now yeah. everybody thinks you know stardom success all came like that Right, mm -hmm. figuring out what you want to do came like that when it didn't. Mm -hmm. It didn't. It doesn't. The the success and the journey is really about that. The journey that got you here, which had you go a little left to the right, come back down, go over, go up, and the more you can tell people that, the more that they can associate their own current situation with where they can potentially be because so many people think, and it goes back to something else you said earlier, you're supposed to stay in your pillar, right? This is what you've committed to. So this is where you're supposed to stay. Now, if they don't hear a story from somebody like Alex Molin that says, well, no, I was supposed to go into the army. I became a professional football player and I became this amazing trainer. Then I'm now becoming this amazing speaker and providing this platform. They would think that you were just supposed to be in the army, just like they're supposed to be right where they are today. So now if you don't share your story, now if we don't share our stories, now we're doing everyone a disservice because we're making them think as if it's supposed to just be what you see now and forget or not be informed on what took place to get here. We're doing everybody a disservice if we're not sharing our stories and walking people through so that they now know, oh, it's possible. I can start to look at doing this if this is my passion and I can start to put the work in or start tapping into how do I getting into this field or doing this thing from where I am now. I'm not just in here if I choose to not be. Mm -hmm. So the storytelling is we now have more of a responsibility. So yes, it's critical, but now there's an accountability and responsibility on us to tell those stories. And if we don't do that, then we're doing again ourselves and more importantly everyone around us that i think we're trying to help in the most positive way not be their best selves at all mm. aster how do you structure your life in terms of like when you when you make decisions yeah do you have it okay if it's if it's aligned with this or i'm yeah. not gonna say aligned but like, how do you, um, not just like from a day to day, because I'd love to hear that too. And I think my, my yeah. listeners would too, but also like, man, how do you structure your life when you want or when you need to make a decision? Yeah, for me, it starts with God. 
Um, I look at my walk. Um, I look at what he's done for me. I look at how I've given my life to be used to help build his kingdom. So it starts there. It doesn't start with an aster benefit. It starts with a, how am I helping to build his kingdom? I know that a number of the decisions and the choices that I'm going to make um, will benefit me and they may not because they may just be things that I need to do so that someone else can see and I can have a testimony that is not going to be on the greatness of Aster, but more so the greatness of his work. Mm -hmm. So everything that I do starts there. The next filter I go in is, okay, from a family standpoint, does this align with the principles in which I stand for and that I'm pouring into our children and that of how I look my, my wife in her eyes and say, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. These are the principles. These are character, character traits. These are things that are non-negotiables. These are things I'm passionate about. Does it align with all those things? Because if it's not consistent with that, then I can't come home and feel comfortable about saying one thing and then doing another. The third one then is down to that purpose piece. How is it helping to bring value to others and unlock the greatness in all people? Literally in that order. Starts with him. My family piece doesn't align with my family. Is it something that they're going to look at and it aligns? And again, they feel, wow, that is exactly what that stands for. This is exactly what he's been you know, pouring into us. It all makes sense. And then is this bringing value to unlocking the greatness in other people? Am I doing something that's helping if it's just one person or a thousand people to be their best selves and unlocking something for them that might have been stifled for whatever reason? But that's, that's my process for sure, every day. Aster, man, I can talk to you all day, man. Yeah. <laughs> for real. And I'm sure my <laughs> listeners, they, could, they can listen to you all day. How can oh, my so listeners... Uh, get more of Aster Chambers. You have any uh, website, on, on, you have, uh, social media? Yeah, my social Good media is Aster. Get you writing something. Give it yeah, up. Yeah, no, no, no. So, so you know, the, the the speaking piece is something that I'm I'm looking to do more of, and it's speaking on these type of things as well as you know the uh, implications of all that we're finding with the second pandemic that hit us, which is the one that we've been dealing with for 400 plus years that we never really dealt with the way that we should and how that has helped to stifle all of us um, in a way that none of us have been our best selves to date. Um, and we've been providing mediocre experiences and services in general because of it. Mm -hmm. And I want to help peel back some of those layers and kind of walk people through the implications of you know, implicit biases, microaggressions, and things to that degree. And not in an accusatory or ostracizing way, but more of an informative way. Mm -hmm. I'm here to inform and inform with the understanding of now that you know, what do we do? Next steps. And, and next steps. And I want to help with that. So doing a bunch of speaking on, on, on that. And that's what I'm really, really passionate about. And uh, if people want to get in contact with me, you know, my IG is Aster underscore AK underscore AC is the best way to get at me. But I'm just, I'm just here to help unlock greatness in all people, Alex. That, that is it. So whatever aligns with that or whatever platform anybody's trying to create or be involved in um, that is, is around that, I'm in. Love it. Love it. Well, man, hey, this has been great. 
you know, you gave some, uh, some magnificent insights and some, some golden nuggets, you know, I like to call them. And um, I'm just uh, I'm very I'm blessed to, you know, to call you a friend and um, hopefully other groups, you know, will reach out to you and do the same. I love it. Same, man. And I just want to say kudos to you providing, for providing this platform and for you stepping out and evolving and looking at, looking at the thing that you already do inherently um, and amplifying that and investing in that even more with this platform to now deliver these messages to help others, right? Because if this platform wasn't here to reach the community in which you touch, they might not hear these things to help inspire them more. You are now pouring into others with this. So thank you for creating the platform and stepping out because I know how uncomfortable you were. And I remember how much you even questioned yourself. And then you done went and wrote a book. You done did all these different things after it. And you're just continuing to blossom. So continue to do what you do. And I'm always here to support that. Appreciate you, man. All right, bro. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking tra- to transition, what, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever. If you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you okay and then developing your own standards so these are things that can help anybody not just not just athletes now there's some stories in there you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.